Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your source for all things Detroit Red Wings and Chicago Blackhawks. With your hosts... Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Kevin Musto. You're listening to the Stickblade Podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. It is the Detroit Red Wings and Chicago Blackhawks Red Rivals Podcast. We cover all things Detroit Red Wings, all things Chicago Blackhawks, and then just general news around the NHL. On tonight's schedule, a lot to cover. Uh, had a bit of a glitch in the system last week, so we missed the uh, podcast. So we apologize for missing a week for you guys, but we're going to try to make it up to you this week. Like I said, a lot to cover this week. So the first bit of news that we're going to talk about for the Blackhawks, uh, basically, are they buyers or sellers at this deadline? Um, team's sort of in that weird position where it's not definitive yet. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about Dominic Kubelik and Jonathan Taves still staying extremely red hot, always on the scoreboard. Uh, the huge milestone for Patrick Kane in his 1,000th point, um, one of the only American players to ever do that with one franchise. So a really big moment for him and just the Blackhawks organization in general. And also, uh, Quinville coming back to Chicago, um, he was there with them for all three of their Cups, and just sort of what his return to the team with the Panthers meant to the organization. And then when we transfer over to the Red Wings side of the podcast, a little bit late this week, not a ton going down in Wingsland, but a couple really important things to talk about. Uh, one, Trevor Daly thinking that he's going to a Cup contending team and asking for that in his trade to somebody else. Uh, Philip Zadina continuing to just show that elite goal scoring potential that he had in draft. Also, Giovanni Smith getting on the scoreboard. One of those guys who started the season, he wasn't really expected to be any big piece, but he's starting to show some promise. And then also Michael Rasmussen finally coming back off injury, going to the Griffins, putting up goals, starting to show a little bit of his upside as well. And after all of that is done, we're finally going to wrap and go to the rest of the NHL. Got a couple pieces to talk about. Uh, two really notable ones in Ray Shiro and Gerard Glant being fired. We covered those last week, but unfortunately, like I said, problems with the hardware. Our files corrupted, so it'll be a little bit late on the news. We're sorry. Pardon the the lateness. And then also Dougie Hamilton getting injured. What that means for the Carolina Hurricanes, their decor, and just the team in general. And then we're going to close out with a piece of fan mail that we got last week from, I believe the name is... 
Sarelli 13. Um, basically, should the the question was basically should the Hawks fire Collison right now and pick up Gerard Gallant, but we're going to stretch that and make it to should the Wings do it as well? And I'm going to spoil it right now. Yes is the answer to that question. <laughs> Dude, but wait, with, spoilers. <laughs> but with all of that being said, I'm your host for tonight, Jordan Linscott, and I am joined by my co-hosts, David Barnhouse, Kevin Musto, and Nick LePage. So guys, let's just jump right into this because there's a lot to talk about this week. Um, I started off mentioning the Hawks news, so let's just talk about that for a minute. Um, first piece that I think is really important. The Hawks aren't a bad club this year. They're not a great club in the standings, but they're not bad. Rumors basically going around, there'll be buyers, there'll be sellers, they're going to stand pat. Um, Kevin and Nick, you guys are basically the Hawks gurus on this show. Where do you think the team should sit at for this deadline coming up? Because, I mean, decisions are going to have to be, get made pretty soon. Yeah, well, well thank you. Go, oh, ahead, go ahead, Nick. <laughs> Start it off, Kevin. Sorry. Oh, well, I was just going to say that I think, honestly, at this point, it's still too early to tell. And as you said, Jordan, the, the team will need to start figuring that out very, very soon. But I still think uh, it would be premature to make a decision at this point. I think a couple weeks ago, it looked like the Blackhawks were definitely going to be a seller. But all of a sudden, they went on that that win streak and they've started to look um, like a really cohesive unit, and they've been playing together very well. And that's with, you know, players out of the lineup like Dylan Strom. So um, you've got a team that's looking really good, and they've got some players, some really quality players that will be coming back into the lineup soon. So they could be playing even better than they are now. So if that is something that picks up, then obviously the team won't be a seller at the deadline. But this could also be a fluke this streak. Um, so I think at this point, it's too early to call. Yeah, and, and the important thing is, with like Kevin said, it's early. And their upcoming schedule is hard. Like they got Arizona coming up for their first game back after the All-Star break. Then they got Minnesota, so not, not really that big. But Boston, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, Winnipeg again. The Rangers, Predators, Stars, Blues, Lightning. So that's a, that's a heavy workload for the Hawks, but... At their current standpoint, I wouldn't say they're either sellers or buyers, but they should be looking to make hockey trades. They shouldn't be trying to give up future assets to acquire certain players. Two guys that I had in mind to like help boost this team is Ottawa's forward, Connor Brown, and New York Rangers forward, Jesper Fast. I think they, they would just be solid additions that they wouldn't have to pay that much for, maybe package Nylander with something small. But other than that, yeah, it's hard to tell. I mean... Maybe halfway down this stretch of upcoming games, that's when they're really going to be able to tell what they are. But this is going to be a very telling sign maybe in like two to three weeks. Assuming you guys are going to be buyers at this deadline, what is, in your opinion, the one piece where if the Hawks say we're buyers for sure, we're going for somebody, what is the piece that you guys think you would have to pick up most this deadline? I think it would probably have to be a top four left-handed defenseman. Um, I think if you look at the depth down the left side for the Hawks, it's basically Duncan Keith, and that's kind of it. I mean, Olimata's been fine, um, uh, but, you know, he's I consider him more of a bottom, just kind of a steady bottom-pairing defenseman. Same with Cuckoo is more of a bottom-pairing defenseman. Uh, Eric Gustafson, also more of a bottom-pairing defenseman, and he, in particular, is 
not doing very well defensively. Um, so I think this team could really add in that department, especially with Calvin DeHaan out of the lineup. It really, um, it really makes them thin at that position. With them being on the brink, I don't like you're, to acquire a top four demon. You're to throw in draft picks and future assets like that. And yeah, I mean, I I would be I would be targeting a second pairing defenseman, not a top pairing. Yeah, um, oh yes, but yes, you're right. It it would be uh, on the expensive side. It's just the Hawks are in such a weird position because they don't have much depth and much future ads future assets without just completely giving up their future, which is weird. It's tough. I mean, they got prospects like Bodan, Ian Mitchell, who I they shouldn't even think about moving, and then. Minor prospects like Evan Barrett, Philip Kurashev, and people like that. So, I think the only way they could really truly be technical buyers is making NHL trades. Like you can't give up prospects, you can't give up draft picks. You have to trade people off the roster in in order to uh, receive something pretty decent. So basically, you guys, I I think, come to agreement. It's basically a defenseman that Chicago's needing to pick if they're going to pick up anybody. In that, yeah, like a. Second pair demon and maybe someone to throw in the top nine. Like I said, Jesper Fast or Connor Brown is two names that I have my eye on. So, yeah, I think a, another top nine right winger wouldn't hurt the team at all. Basically, to replace Alex Nylander is what we're looking for. I think Nylander has been playing a bit better in the last couple games. Yeah, he <laughs> has been. He has been. It's just I think we're you they keep trying to force. Yeah, they like he, you see improvement in his game, but. He's still not the player that we thought we acquired. That Stan thought he acquired, but you know you could set you could see the confidence kind of building up, and so it's still too early to tell. It he's NHL young, so we'll see from there. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad at all if they traded Nylander, but at the same time, I think they shouldn't give up on him too fast because I think there is still potential there. And I don't think they will just because Stan loves him. So, but yeah, other than that. Really, that's where the Hawks stand trade-wise. Uh, moving outside of the trade deadline for you guys for a moment, uh, let's talk about Dominic Kublik and Jonathan Taves just being complete fire this past couple games. I mean, Taves has I mean, really, really been on fire as of late. And Dominic Kublik, he is, I can't remember, is he still on the point game streak? No, it finally ended. Either way, I mean, he had a very, a very decent stretch of games where he was on the scoreboard which is good for you guys. Yeah, that line has been unreal. I mean, you could see the connection Taves and Kublik have, and that's why they're getting the production that they are. Taves is, since December started, I believe, he's had a point per game, and we all know how what a terrible start he had. I think he had two points in the first 11 games. So yeah. pl- playing with Kublik, he's been absolutely unreal, and Kublik's benefiting from it too. He's at 20 goals already this season, leading rookies in goal scoring. And then I think I said it last week, but like we said, it cut, cut out. He's making, he, I mean, he's not up there with Cal McCarr yet, but he's giving Cal McCarr a run for the money for the Calder. The unfortunate thing is we might end up in another Panarin situation where we can't keep him. <laughs> he's making, what, 975000 this year? He's going to, that, that's going to skyrocket next year because he's a UFA. I think cool. he, wait, is he RFA another year? Wait, no, yeah, he might be RFA. My bad. But regardless, he's a free think, agent. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's RFA for like one more season, so we might be able to keep him cost-controlled another season. But after that, once he's got uh, UFA status, I don't know if we can hold on to him. Where do we think his salary is going to be? Like, would you put him, if he scores 30-35 this year, is that like $3 million worth? 
could see yeah, he was I, doing like a bridge deal on him, like three million a year for two years, and if he keeps it up, then he gets payday. Yeah, I think three mil would be fine. I would be cautious to go above that because one season is kind of a small sample size, and you don't want to end up in like like for example, the Blackhawks did it with uh, Richard Ponick, where he had one good season, and then I think they overpaid for him after that. So I don't really want Andreas to end up in a, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to end up in a situation like that. Just clear my throat there for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not throwing shade at all. But, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I love what I'm seeing out of Taze and Kubli playing together. They are constantly producing. So, I mean, if Kubli plays like this with Jonathan Taze and gets, it brings out the best of Jonathan Taze, then if, if Stan has to pay him three mil next season, then I'm okay with it just because he's been he, he's been a boost in this offense and it's what we need. We need other players to step up besides guys like Debrinkit, Kane, Taves. So, we're starting to get that out of Dominic Kubelik. Let's flip it though, right? Like, I mean, let's say at this deadline, Chicago is going to be a seller. Do you guys look at trading him to somebody else if you don't think realistically you're going to keep him long term with the franchise? I mean, I I know it's going to be hard for you guys to admit, but I mean, at some point, Chicago is going to come crashing down. And if you can get a pretty decent return for him right now, do you take it, even if it might mean? you miss out on this 30 goal scorer guy. I mean, if you have a guy who he gets hot and he gets a 35 type goal season and you get offered, you know, two or three picks for him, do you guys take it? I mean, it would have to be blowing me out of the, or blowing Stan out of the water for, I think the trade could leak right now, but I mean, it depends on the offer and who it's from, but I think with him being an RFA, you just have to hold on to him and, you know, he's still young, too. He's 24, which that's old for a rookie, but it's still young in the NHL and just entering his prime. So I don't know. That's, that's a tough question. Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely listen. He's certainly not an untouchable piece. Um, so if Chicago is in a, a spot at the deadline where they're not in playoff contention and a playoff contender wants to give up a lot for a player like Kubelik, then uh, you certainly got to consider it. Um, but I don't think they're going to be eager to move him right now. Well, we can move on to the uh, the next pieces of Hawks news. Uh, Patrick Kane, 1,000 points. This is a big milestone for a kid like him to not only just have the 1,000, has them all with the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. Ninth best player of the decade. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, according to NBC, it's 15. So oh, well. average it out, we were at like 12. Look at the 12th best. NBC. <laughs> Not even look at this to see who the fuck's ahead of him now. NBC. Oh, NBC's list. For Eric is, Carlson is better than Patrick Kane, guys. Yeah, Eric but, Carlson's boy. a piece of garbage. Let's not let's not that those trash lists take away from this unbelievable accomplishment by Patrick Kane. Two days after he got his number retired from the London Knights, he. Scored point number one thousand on a, a Brandon got Brandon side goal against Winnipeg, and I mean, how about that celebration, Kevin? This the whole bench coming out, giving him a whole bench and, coming off. Yeah, th- that was unbelievable. And <laughs> you know, for to be, he's one. I think he was the sixth fastest American to point a thousand or something like that. But Kane's now entering the realms of Makita Hull and names like him. Uh, Savard and names like that with the Chicago Blackhawks and point number thousand is nothing like at 31 years old he is on track to mm-hmm. he's gonna be the leading Blackhawks 
point getter for all time. So just an unbelievable accomplishment. Congratulations, Patrick Kane. And just, wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I saw, I saw a funny post about that. Uh, I don't know if it was like Scott Powers, one of the other beat writers in Chicago, but they were like, yeah, it's not every day you see a bunch of guys celebrating a secondary assist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah. Saad right. got shafted on his goal. Yeah. <laughs> he like threw his arms up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody came to him. I don't know. I don't know if Saad realized it. Kane got might, the assist because like he was selling and then the whole bench ignored him. You might say the ignoring made him a little sad. Uh, there it is. Just, I mean, just a bit sad. But. Yeah, I mean, just another veteran move by Saad. I mean, he scored the goal, but he recognized once the whole bench is over by Kane, he's like, oh, <laughs> shit, I got to go grab this puck. And yeah. Just uh, that was a special moment. I mean, to ha- for the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, I say it every week, but for the Chicago Blackhawks to have someone like Patrick Kane, it's just unreal. I mean, seeing him developed from what he was at 18 to the player he is now, he somehow has gotten better as he gets older, even past the 30 mark. It's just, he's just unreal. And man, it's special to have someone like him. Yeah, you know King, crazy- one of those. Oh, go ahead, David. Or uh, Jordan, sorry. The crazy thing about this for me, it's it's not the thousand points. It's the fact that he's playing in an era of hockey where goal scoring is extremely down. He's not playing in like the 80s or the 70s when goalies didn't have professional training and where they played with small pads where your stats got inflated. He's doing this in the modern NHL right now where goalies are trained from the time they're teens. Even before then, there's professional scouting going on like this, I think is what makes it even more impressive is the era that he's doing this in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's just, ever since he took the league, by he, he took the league by storm right when he entered it. He's like, they did the little tribute to him and, it's weird looking back on all that and just seeing like no matter what era, like the era we're in now, he's just continually continuing to adjust and to better himself. And he's one of those, he's so loyal to the game. He's so dedicated. And he's just all about hockey. And it's just unreal to see like the young caner that we've seen in 2007 to what we have now. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, Kane's one of those players that just ages like fine wine. Uh, you know, as long as there's no injuries, like he's a player that could play to lose 40 uh, because he's just that good. And uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to watch him over the years. It's just, yeah, like, I mean, you said it perfect. He's aging like fine wine. It's just no matter how old he gets, he's still going to produce. And yeah, <laughs> I can't, I mean, just. It's been a pleasure watching, like you said, Kevin. Just I, I, like he's one of those players that you tell your kids about, and you're just like, this was, yep, this was our highlight. This is who we turn on the TV for every night. And mm-hmm. it's a shame that uh, future Blackhawks fans aren't gonna know who Patrick Kane was, and, and just by only off YouTube clips. Yeah, eventually we'll get to that point. But I mean, it's like for us, we feel that way about guys like Nikita. Yeah, exactly. Or, but like, we didn't get to watch him play. But yeah, you know. let me. Switch it. I mean, it's another Kane combo, but NBC Sports Chicago was having this discussion, which I was, it was a poll. And I was appalled by how many no votes there were. There was, it was a question like, will Patrick Kane be the all time Blackhawks leading scorer? And it was like 60% to 40%. Like, what do the 40% think? 
<laughs> I mean, unless Stan, unless Stan does something tragic and, ugh. but like the fact that it was that close to 50, 50 blows my mind. Yeah. Unless like Kane falls off a cliff, like, <laughs> like he's only 31. It's not, it's not young, but it's not old. I think he's going to keep going 400 points. That's about four seasons for Kane. So, but yeah, I was just appalled by that poll voting. And Kane's the kind of player too. Like, if there are records to break, he's gonna do it. Oh yeah, he'll he'll stay. He'll be like, all right, that's my record. I'll I'll, I'll take a one mil deal. Right, here we go. Transfer onto the next piece of uh, Hawks news. Uh, Coach Quinville coming back to Chicago with the Florida Panthers. A lot of celebration for him, and he came back this past week. Um, with you guys for all three of your guys' cups this decade. When you guys watched, was that like a bittersweet moment for you guys? Because I mean. I, I think a lot of fans looked at that move when it happened that Quinville got let go and they're like, like, what more do you want from this man? Like he took you to the cup three times. Like, yeah, it was, was abs- it like watching that. It was like, you said it perfectly. It was bittersweet. I mean, it's I, actually, I, I don't know. I mean, sweet might even be sad, but just like seeing all the contributions that Joel Quinville has made to the city of Chicago and to the Blackhawks organization, it was just unbelievable. And, and the bitter part, I mean, I still hold resentment towards that move. I mean, I know I kind of defended like moves like Lavalette and Gallant getting fired, but Joe, just we're so we were so accustomed to watching Joel Quinville behind the bench and just what he's done for this organization. And it, it was an awesome, it was awesome to see Joel Quinville back at the United Center. It was a special moment, especially with Kane being recognized for his a thousand point before that game as well. So. It was a very special night at the United Center, just having Q back and, you know, the ovation that he got. And during his tribute, during an intermission, he, the fans just screaming. It was, the United Center was loud. And yeah, it was a special moment for Joel and he even got emotional. Yeah, it was, it was uh, really great to see the love and support that he got. Um, And that, that uh, tribute video they had for him was great. And, and Joel got very emotional, as he said during that and it was just nice to see he had this big smile on his face and um it was just nice to see um how well they treated him uh on his return back to the united center i do have a little uh i was a little upset though not with quinville or anything with that but nbc sports chicago they know the tribute's coming for joel quinville they didn't show it on tv they shot right to commercial not even karen and that i mean i was upset like i had to wait till like after the game was over to see the tribute to Joel Quinville through because NBC tweeted they're like, Oh, we, I know we shot the commercial. Here's a tribute. Like, come on. I want to see the, I want to see this live. I want to see Joel Quinville's emotion. And like, it, it was just ridiculous that they went straight to commercial. I mean, I know they have to do commercial requirements, but what the hell? Yeah. That wasn't the time to do it. I know. <laughs> I mean, come on. The guy won us three Stanley cups. Can we uh, at least pay a little respect for him? Did you see, I mean, was Stan Bowman in, like? Did they shoot to Stan Bowman at all? I only, I seen not Rocky. that I saw. Yeah, I seen Rocky. He was he wasn't clapping that little asshole. But <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, just a special night and unreal for Joel Quinville, and he de- he deserves it. He deserves all that love that the city gave him on Sunday or when was that Tuesday? But so yeah, just a great ovation for Quilt Q, and just it's great to see him back. Move on to the last piece of uh, Hawks news for this week. Uh, this one's, in my opinion, just like a nothing burger, but I guess we'll touch on it. Um, basically, Taves and 
Keith got into a little bit of like a scruff in practice. In my opinion, this is getting blown completely out of the water. Basically, they started, you know, wrestling with each other. Nobody was throwing fists. Nobody was sitting there screaming. Like, it wasn't really getting violent. I've seen, I like, I saw fans on Facebook even saying, like, oh, one of them wants, or one of them wants to be gone, or something like that. Like, <laughs> they were just fighting for Q's affection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They want to show who, they want to sh- get their dad's love. <laughs> but, yeah, I, like you said, Jordan, it's not really that big of a deal. I actually liked the. I liked it more than it, I thought it was a good thing more than it was a bad thing. It just shows how much this, these two guys care and these two locker room leaders, and they want the best out of each other. I was reading that Keith showed up like a minute late to practice, like he skated on ice while the practice was already going on, and that pissed Taze off. So I, I, I love it. it like Co- Jeremy Colleton said it best. He's like, do you have – he's like, I got two boys of my own. This happens all the time. They're brothers. So, yeah, they're bringing the best out of each other. They want to win. They want to do the best for the team. So I loved it more than I hated it. Yeah, I think the only weird part of it for me is that we never heard Duncan Keith's side of the story. I don't know if he was just not interviewed about it. Um, but, like, because after that, he ended up leaving practice early and then never really got a comment from him. Taves we heard from, and he was just like, yeah, we were just kind of fooling around. Like, it wasn't anything serious, but... Yeah, I, I just thought it was weird that we didn't get uh, Keith's take on the situation. I mean, we did see Keith, Kane, Taves, Seabrook all together after the game. Yeah. Talking to Quinville and stuff like that. And Taves and Keith were standing side by side. So, But yeah, it was weird to see Keith. Uh, or, like, we didn't get a comment from Keith. But I think it was an optional skate. It was an optional morning skate, apparently. So I, I probably after that, I probably pissed Keith off a little bit, so he just left. But yeah, weird to not get a comment out of him. It's pretty much, I think, going to wrap it for our Hawks news, unless uh, Kevin, you or Nick have anything to add. I think we uh, talked There's, a lot. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there was a lot we'll of Hawks guys news this week. So let's go ahead over to, uh, to Wings Land for a bit. This week, I think, in terms of actual topics, we're light, but... I think there's a lot to talk about if we go in depth with the topics that we have tonight. So uh, let's let's just talk about what is, in my opinion, the the biggest joke to come out this past week for the Wings. Trevor Daly told the Wings, "Like, hey, I want to be traded to a Cup contender." Well, anybody? I think he said next year. Regardless, the fact that he thinks that he's deserving to go to a Cup contender, like. Anybody who has watched Trevor Daly this year knows that he is not a cup contending defenseman. I mean, he's and to be to be fair to him, yes, he has had some injuries in his past, which have may have hurt him a little bit. But even taking the injuries off the table, Trevor Daly is not a cup contending defenseman anymore. See, I'm just willing to bet they they misquoted and he said, "I want to be traded to a Calder Cup contender." <laughs> I just think that the quote was kind of, you know, yeah. But what you're saying, Jordan, he's he's 36. He's in the final year of a three-year contract. He um he doesn't have it anymore, and I don't. I think he just wants to ride the pine for a cup contending team. <laughs> he got a little. He got a taste of that winning in Pittsburgh that one year, and he's like, I want that more. <laughs> yeah, it was sort of a weird story uh, when I came across this. I was like. I mean, you can certainly ask, but I don't think there's going to be much interest. Like, if Detroit finds a team who is willing to take on Trevor Daly 
absolutely I'm perfectly fine with them doing it, but I just these comments seem weird to me. A because Trevor Daly doesn't have the resume after leaving Pittsburgh to warrant going to a cup contender. And on top of that, it's like we've said, like he's in the last year of a three year he's coming into the last year of a three year contract. He's now at this point going into his later thirties. At this point in his career, like, where is he planning to go to make a meaningful impact on the ice anywhere? Like, I think he, a lot of players obviously want to be able to have that accomplishment of saying, I want a cup. But, I mean, it's not like Trevor Daly is going to go somewhere and be the anchor of their blue line. I mean, the guy's literally in his late 30s at this point. Like, this to me was just a head scratcher for sure. Can I interest you in the Montreal Canadiens, Trevor Daly? Because they need some blue line help, but that's really it. I mean, they're kind of on the brink of being a playoff team. That's the only that's the only team that I could see interest in Trevor Daly. What we do is we take videos of him when he played for Pittsburgh, and we just like color the screen red mm-hmm. over where he's skating, so they think, oh, that's how he plays for the Red Wings. That's cool. Like an awesome Photoshop job on like a bunch of clips, and then send them in. I don't know. There's no Peter Shirelli to fool. Give him yeah. a couple of years. He'll be back. <laughs> if we traded him uh, to Edmonton, so. think about it. Ken Holland signed, and maybe Ken Holland wants him back. Hey, Ken. <laughs> I mean, there's no Peter Shirelli, but there is a Mark Bergevin who is damn near close to Peter Shirelli. So. Eh, he's not that bad. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, Bergevin swindled Bowman only only once so far. Only once. <laughs> but. Uh, that one I thought was a kind of interesting one. Um, to talk a little bit more about some of the more important pieces of news this week, uh, Philip Sedina staying hot. He's really brought it the past couple games this season. What, what do you have, two goals last night, David? Yep, two goals last night. Um, he's had a few assists lately, but he's just looking great. Say so he got given that top-line chance with Dylan Larkin, and he is absolutely taking full advantage of that chance. You see him playing confident now. Like I know we kind of talked about the week of the Hawks game, Jordan, but you're seeing confidence out of Zena like he didn't have before when he entered the league, and he is just his mind's right. He's playing with the right players, and he's as confident as he could be right now. He's burying the pucks in other people's nets, like he said. Yeah, I think um, when he first came up the couple times last year, there was a lot of hesitation with him. Um, but- now I just see a guy that's real confident in what he's doing, and it's showing. And I think he could. I think he could hit twenty goals this season. I mean, he's playing. Was I can't remember if he's playing if he's playing first or second power play. But regardless, he's getting power play time. He's playing with a great center in Dylan Larkin, and I mean Nick Mean. You saw it firsthand at the Wings Hawks game. Like his offensive instincts are, they're up there with the best of them. Like I mean, just. From stick placement, head placement, positioning, like it's starting to really show that he has confidence right now. Yeah, and like at first, was he was like described as a sniper when he first came to the league, right? Yeah, like he was basically, he was basically advertised as like a pure goal scorer. You're seeing a lot of playmaking ability out of Zadina now, which I think that's better. Like that's better than just being a pure goal scorer. He, he he sees the ice a different way, and that's what you want to see. He's going to create some offense for. Like he he you're, he's showing signs that he's going to be able to carry a line one day, sometime down the road. That's that's what's probably the best thing I think for. I think me and David looking at 
this wings roster for the future. The wings already have, you know, that elite winger in Anthony Mantha. Zadina's showing traits Mantha didn't show until he was 22 years old, and he's not even 20 yet. Like, that to me is what is so good about him. Mm -hmm. David, like, based on what you've seen of Zadina, do do you think that for him it's more of a Larkin effect where he's a product of the players that he's playing with? Or do you think that this is really just uh, he's been, been given his opportunity and he's seizing it? I think he's seizing it. I mean, he was playing with Ernie um, a couple weeks ago, still putting the puck in the back of the net. I think he just has an eye for the goal, and he's seizing his opportunity. I think putting him with a guy like Larkin is only going to be immensely more beneficial for him than putting him with a guy like Ernie or whoever else in the bottom pairings. Um, But, yeah, I think it's more um, seizing than it is who's around him. This is a pretty interesting question. Um, Anthony Mantha has been basically determined that he's going to be out for a while. Let's say Mantha comes back this, at some point this season. I mean, do we keep Mantha and Zadina both on Larkin's wings, or do we put one of them on the second line? Because, I mean, Detroit's had depth scoring problems all season. Oh, man. Um, let's see. If we put them on the top line, that leaves Bertuzzi... Who would be our second like line? Like Bertuzzi, Phil Pilat, and Athanasiu, second line? Yeah. I mean, I mean, if we do the, the Blasio blender, you could move them all around. But just imagining Larkin with uh, Zadina and Mantha on that top line, just whoo boy. And then if, if the cards fall correctly, having Lafreniere next season tying into all that, I mean, even if you don't get Lafreniere, there is so many. Next year's draft class is stacked. Oh, yeah, there, of course. But there's Lafreniere. just so many. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's the one everybody <laughs> wants. But if you end up with like a Quinton Byfield, that's perfectly fine. Alexander Holtz is a great player. Cole Perfetti, Lucas Raymond, uh, Tim Stutzel, Stutzel, Stutzel. Don't know how to pronounce that one. But yeah, you're, you're going to be set next season. This upcoming draft might be the deepest draft since, or what was it? It's I think it's probably the deepest draft since the Zadina draft, and then the one before, not the one before the Zadina draft, the one that was what was it three years prior? The, like uh, the McDavid, McDavid Marner year. The, no, the Larkin, was the Matthews Saddle, Pasternak one. I think that's twenty sixteen, the one with Matthews and Line. One like it looks to be one of the most like depthful draft year. Uh, draft years since that draft. Yeah, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of su- here, a lot of superior talents. I mean, for right. I mean, at the beginning of this podcast this season, we we're talking both Blackhawks and Red Wings being in that contention. Now it's the Red Wings and who they could have their eye on coming up soon. Um, we can move on to the next piece of Red Wings news, though. Another really, I guess, a nice story that's a change of pace. Uh, Giovanni Smith. He's been having some production with the big club. Uh, basically got a call from Grand Rapids. He's been playing second to third line minutes, sometimes fourth. But showing up on the score sheet, I believe he has two goals right now with the team. Um, unfortunately, both games that he got the goals in, the team got just completely blown out. So no real celebration for him, unfortunately. I mean, David, what do you see him painting out as? Because... I don't think he's a fourth liner. He he looks too good to be a fourth liner, in my opinion. But I think he could probably be like a middle six guy. 
I could see him definitely as a third liner. I mean, he's got grit, but he's also got good hands for scoring. So he could, in all honesty, be like a Dan Cleary type of player. He could float between second and third line and kind of really get in the crawl of our opponents. And I just like talking about Dan Cleary, as you've learned. But <laughs> Giovanni Smith, I feel like, could be that kind of player where he's just he's he's like a gnat. Like annoying the other team, but at the same time, he can put the puck in the back of the net. It'd be like your guys' version of Andrew Shaw. Yeah. Yeah, comparable to him, actually. Both kind of like can play the big-bodied game, but also have some skill to him. Gianni Smith is fast, man. He is quick. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll ever be like the big power forward that Mantha will be by any stretch, but I I mean, I, I guess you could almost classify him as like a, like a Mantha light, maybe? Sort of... Still brings like that big bodied presence, the guy who can score like Andrew Shaw, but he's not as dominant. Like he just he plays a grittier forward style. Was he a high pick for you guys? Was he like a first or second or a second or third rounder? He was a second or a third. I mean he wasn't a first, I know that for sure. I didn't mean to say first, I kinda of slipped in there. I meant like second and third. I think he was let me see. He was a second or third rounder though, because I remember when he got drafted. Yeah, second round pick in 2016. Yeah, 46th overall. He wasn't like a guaranteed success. It was somebody that the Wings hoped would pan out one day, and it looks like he's at least starting to, which is awesome for the club. Yeah. Oh, my God. In his draft year, he had 146 penalty minutes. Damn. <laughs> this is kind of Blackhawks Wings news. Did you guys know Chelios had over 3,000 penalty minutes? <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. As that came up to me the other day, I was mind blown. That's amazing. Funny. I mean, he's still a legendary defenseman despite all those penalty minutes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, he had one. I'm looking at his stats. He had one year where he almost got 300 penalty minutes in a season. Just a legend. What a beauty. Incredible. (laughs) He rocks that spray tan perfectly, too. While we're on the wings, another piece of wings news. Michael Rasmussen finally back with the Grand Rapids Griffins. Um, For those that don't know, basically last year he had to play in the NHL due to contract reasons with the CHL. Um, I can't remember exactly how the contract is worded between the two leagues, but basically the way that it worked for him was either he plays NHL or he plays CHL. He couldn't have played for Grand Rapids last year. Um, this year, he was with Grand Rapids since he played a full year in the NHL last year. Got injured, and he's came back recently, and he's actually been really good. Uh, two goals since he's been back, I believe. He's getting decent minutes. I, he's not playing top line, but decent minutes. Um, really someone that we need to pan out. I mean, at the time, David, were you on Reddit when everyone was saying we picked him too early or that we should have picked somebody else. Um, yeah, I remember that. It's obviously still a little too early to tell whether that was the correct pick or not, but when you look at that pick, do you think that was the right pick for us or no? Because, I mean, he, Rasmussen is a big guy. The Wings have been going big for a while, but do you see him eventually being a top six guy like he was billed to be or no? I can see it. I mean, he has the talent. He's young too. Like he's still really freaking young, um, but I think he has the talent. To me, he could develop into like a Franz and Holmstrom type player, just a big body that knows how to put the puck in the net. 
he's like like hopefully he's like that i mean i think he would be good as like a net front guy for sure um this point though i don't think he makes any of the center positions for the wings i think just the wings have too many high-end centers in their drafts or uh, prospect pool right now but i mean do you think he's good enough to slot in as like a second line winger i mean it seems like at this point detroit's top six is going to be pretty much set for the next couple of years i mean yeah i think he could i think that's pretty much going to wrap it for the wings news does anybody else have anything else before we switch to the rest of the nhl because we've got a little bit to cover with the rest of the league and by a little i mean some pretty big pieces of news to talk about let's go give the rest of the league some attention so for anyone who's been living under a rock for the past two weeks or so um a couple really big firings uh ray shero and gerard gallant ray shero from the new jersey organization we can touch on that one first because i think it's not as major as the gerard gallant one jersey devils for all intents and purposes have underperformed this year they've not been great then they got P.K. Subban, they had Taylor Hall, they acquired Jack Hughes from the draft last year. I mean, they went out and got people this offseason, and for whatever reason, just hasn't been clicking for them. I mean, yes, at some point you have to blame the players, but when you guys look at this team, do you think that Ray Shero is to blame for this, or do you guys think not? I'm going to say no, actually. And I think Ray Shero has really done his job he acquired players like Gusev, P.K. Subban, Jack Hughes via draft, and Wayne Simmons. Wayne Simmons was the questionable signing of them all, but he went out. P.K. Subban, he didn't give up much for. Like at, When I read the trade, I'm like, wow, that's a steal. Like, they got Subban for nothing. But they, they signed him to an extension this past offseason. Subban hasn't worked out great, but they gave up not much for him. Like They didn't, they didn't trade a first-round pick for Subban. They uh, Traded two guys that, to be honest, I haven't even heard of. And it, it, he just hasn't worked out. And then you invested, you let him do that Taylor Hall trade. And you fire him two, three weeks later. It doesn't make sense. Like, you got to let the man control the ship or not. Uh, he's, Jack Hughes was the obvious number one overall pick. And he hasn't performed like it yet. But he's still young. And, you know, he's going to get there eventually. He's not going to be a superstar right away. So the, just the firing is weird to me. He, I know he didn't really like the communication between ownership and himself, but the fact that they already gave up on Ray Shero after just signing, signing him to an extension kind of, it doesn't really sit well with me just because you got to let him ride it out. And he, he's, he has this reputation of being a great GM and has the resume for it. So I would say just trust him. But yeah, this surprised me. Kevin, what were your guys' opinions on the uh, the ratio firing? Well, I certainly wasn't expecting it, especially if it were to happen. I'm surprised it didn't happen in the off season. Um, I think, as Nick was saying, like Ray Shiro did his job in the off season. He made a lot of moves. He acquired a lot of players. Obviously, it didn't work out, but um, in hindsight, like I don't think they were bad trades. It's just for whatever reason the team just didn't really mesh well together, but I thought he did a good job being active uh, in the trade market. Um, And I guess the organization just felt like, well, since those moves didn't work out, we'll uh, replace him and and try again with a different GM. So what I'm like, 
if you had intentions of firing him, why would you let him do this Taylor Hall trade? Like, if you... That's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he got... I thought it was a pretty good return for a rental player, Taylor Hall. Why would you let him do that trade, though, if you were firing him? It doesn't make sense. Like, he got you big pieces for the future and what he was going to use and develop. And now it it just was by the wayside. I mean, now it's in another GM's hand to handle that situation. D- David, what do you think of this firing? Like I said, it's just weird to me. Like, if you're not liking the dude, why are you letting him make these deals and then firing him? Like, it's just weird to me. Like, they're a team on the rebuild. Um which I understand, you know, you're not doing as well as you should be with the with the talent you have. But at the same time, you're letting this guy make these deals and then you fire him. It's just a little weird to me. What really confuses me the most about this is, I mean, when you let a guy make deals, and not even just like tiny deals, like big deals, you're basically telling him this is... I mean, I like your analogy of the boat. This is your boat to drive. And as soon as the deals hadn't immediately started to show return, I mean, why did you give him the keys to the boat if you were just going to kick him out of the captain seat? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they were like, here's your new boat, and now we're committing to mutiny against you. Walk the plank. V, the title of the episode, Walk the Plank. I, I understand... I understand the team is underperforming, and that makes sense. Like that's a pretty good reason why to fire a GM and a coach at the time, like they've have already this season. But I don't think like he didn't do a massive overpayment for any of these players. It took a massive discount for the Taylor Hall trade. He paid Nico his year for what he thinks he's gonna do. He traded for PK Subban, who like the Devils were in win now mode. They went after they got Jack Hughes. They got the number one overall pick. They went out Wayne Simmons. And that was a move that everybody agreed with. And now it's just, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. We can talk about the other big firing. I think this one's probably a lot bigger just because of the track record involved with it. But Gerard Gallant got let go from the Las Vegas Golden Knights head coach position. (laughs) This one is the one that really confused me. Gerard Gallant took the Vegas Golden Knights in their first season in the NHL to the Stanley Cup Finals with a group of guys that he didn't necessarily get to talk to the GM in depth about picking because of the fact that he didn't have exact information on who was protected, or sorry, who was going to be protected, who was going to be available. He took what is basically a ragtag group of guys, guys who their teams gave up picks to get rid of these players, took them to the Stanley Cup Finals his first year. His second year took them to the playoffs in what would have been win over San Jose had it not been for that weird meltdown at the end of the game. And this year, the Vegas Golden Knights are still a bubble team on the fringe of the playoffs, and he's let go. I mean, could somebody please explain this to me? Because I don't look at that coach resume and say, nope, we can't do it with him. We need to get somebody else. I wish I could explain it. It doesn't make sense. It it really doesn't. Like you said, Like you said it perfectly, it, Vegas the first year, there were a bunch of misfits that were brought in that nobody wanted. That they said, "All right, we're fine with letting you go." People they were making trades to get rid of them, and that way they couldn't take their actual good players. And he brought them to the Stanley Cup. I think that his record was with the team was like one hundred nineteen seventy five and twenty. 
that's a phenomenal record. I mean, for a bunch of players that nobody wanted, that's unbelievable. And then what he's done, like bringing him to the Stanley Cup, if it wasn't for an unfortunate five-minute major in game seven of the first round last year, who knows where he could be? He could he could have won the Stanley Cup last year. So it really doesn't make sense. It, it, this is bizarre. It was a, just such a bizarre firing. I thought it was, especially with them, now they're at, at the time of the firing, they're three points out. Now they're, now they're, I think they're like second in the Pacific. It, it really, I don't understand it. I know he was probably frustrated with the way the team was performing and how good of a roster they have, but it doesn't make sense. Yeah, this one is a weird one to me for sure. Um, I don't really have any explanation for it, I guess. I mean, just speculating, but I guess there must have been tension between Gallant and the front office. Um, because otherwise, I, I don't see why you make a move like this. David, what do you think about this firing? Like, it's what, what's crazy your take on it? It's crazy to me. He goes to the Stanley Cup in his first year with a ragtag team of guys that other teams didn't want. They've been perennial playoff contenders. And, like... You just fire him because they're like a couple points out of out of the playoff spot, out of first place, really. Like it's crazy, and I I, I want him on my team. <laughs> we'll get to that topic in a minute. That's uh, that's a segment for later. We'll talk about. Um, if you're in Vegas and you're watching this team, I mean, surely the like the fans had to have looked at this and asked what's going on because I mean, what hockey expansion team? Ever has been this good as soon as they formed nobody what team that has been an expansion team has had the success so quickly that this team has had nobody what team took a coach that was let go from their previous position and basically made a team work this quickly nobody i mean like there has to be something with the front office at this point right like i can't imagine that a fan could look at this team or this roster and say, yeah, Gallant wasn't doing it for us. Like any fan would be happy with the results they got from him. Yeah. It, it has to be like a front office issue that they had with him. I think one thing I heard was that they didn't like that. Gallant wasn't willing to um, work, like take advanced stats into consideration when coaching like he's just opposed to them, uh, but like even still, like the guy's giving you results. So I don't know why you'd fire him. Anybody else have anything to add on these two firings before we talk about one of the uh, the biggest signings in the league in this past week? All right. So moving on to the rest of the league, let's go ahead and talk about one of the uh, the biggest extensions really of the season so far. Uh, Nick Backstrom with the Washington Capitals. Signing a very big contract with that team. Um, basically, top-line center, or I guess top-line center, if you don't count Evgeny Kuznetsov. I mean, Backstrom and Ovechkin have been the dynamic duo in Washington. I mean, the guy has been just absolutely amazing for the team. Um, I mean, he's been nicknamed the Dish Master because, I mean, just... The passes are on point. But anyway, Nick Backstrom re-upping with the Washington Capitals. And 
let me just pull up the exact uh, contract update for him. Basically, I'm he five years, a five-year, four forty-six million contract with the Washington Capitals. So he's basically making a little over eight million a year. So not a small contract by any means. Uh, plays top line for them when he's not playing. He's for top line. He's doing basically second line if uh, they play Kuznetsov instead. I mean. Did Washington even really have a choice with him at this point? I mean, I mean, here's the really thing. have anybody besides Kuznetsov. I mean, yeah. And here, here's the other thing. I live in the D.C. area, and the first two players to come out of really people's mouths, uh, the th- the first three players to come out of people's mouths when you talk about the Caps are Ovechkin, Backstrom, Holtby, and Backstrom has been their number two guy for a long time. So I think he's more than earned. Uh, his contract. Otherwise, he was going to get it somewhere else. Kevin, Nick, when you guys look at this contract, I mean, $8 million in the salary cap era, yes, it's a lot, but for like a true top-line center, it's really not that out of the question. Um, and the best part is this is a five-year deal. It's not like an eight-year where it's tied up for forever. So it's not going to go until he's ridiculously old. I mean, what do you guys think about this one? I like this deal for Washington. I think it's perfect to get Ovechkin's go-to man. He, they are like bread and butter together. And I think the more important part is it shows how much Nick Backstrom wanted to stay in Washington. That he, The fact that he negotiated this contract himself, no agent involved. He just wanted to handle this thing. He wanted to be in Washington. He, he didn't want an agent throwing him a different direction. And I, I like the signing. I know he's getting older but he, he's been a staple for the franchise for so long and the way he plays i really don't it's going to be hard for him to kind of just to fall off especially with his game just being passing and assists and stuff like that so yeah i, I thought it was a good signing for washington and a good signing for nick backstrom it's a win-win situation yeah i think like the questionable part of it is is going to be backstrom's age at 32 years old and the contract going for another five years you know, the question becomes, you know, is he going to be able to sustain his level of play and actually warrant uh, that kind of money? Um, certainly will in the immediate future, but towards the end of that deal, I don't know how good that looks, and, and I don't know what kind of situation that puts Washington in later down the line. But Washington is also a team where they're not worrying about that. They want to stay in contention and he's their number one center. So you, you got to keep him around because if you don't, uh, it puts you in a really bad position. So, I mean, David, you said you're from the DC area. I mean, you That's mentioned your whole, like, I mean, you're recording from the DC area. So, I mean, you're from around yeah, there yeah. right now. Like, you I mean, you said Holtby is one of the names that's associated with the caps, but I mean, looking at the capitals cap situation coming, I mean, They've got to be getting strapped, right? Like, Kuznetsov is making a lot of money. Ovechkin's making a lot of money. Backstrom's about to be making a lot of money. Oshie makes a lot of money. Tom Wilson is going to be due for a raise. Like, people have been speculating online, like, you know, maybe the Capitals move away from Braden Holtby and they let him go to free agency. I mean, do you see that happening with that team? Or do you think they'll find a way to make it work? Because, I mean... There's no doubt Braden Holtby has earned money. I mean, he's a Vesna caliber goaltender. Yeah. Um, 
so here's how I see it. When I'm going around places and I see people in Caps jerseys, the three jerseys I see are, like I said, Ovechkin, Backstrom, Holpe. Holpe has a huge, huge fan base here. And I feel like if the Caps don't make an effort to re-sign him, they're going to hurt a lot of their fans by doing that because he, he is a fan favorite um, on and off the ice. So it's a tough call. I mean, they have, who was it, Samuelson backing him up, who's looking really good? Samsonov. Samsonov, sorry. Um, I don't pay too much attention to the Caps besides what I see here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough call. I mean, it's kind of like what you have in Chicago right now with Leonard and Crawford. Um, Crawford, you know, won you guys cups, but he he's getting older and you have Leonard who's looking great. So it's, it's a real tough call. I mean, this is the Capitals first ever Stanley cup and he was a big part of it. So I don't really know. I think it's looking more and more likely that we're going to see Samson off be the starter next season for Washington and that hope he's going to. I mean, not be given the boot, but they're going to say thanks, but no thanks. Uh, he served his purpose in Washington. I, and he's a great goaltender, don't get me wrong. He's going to get paid a lot of money, but I don't think Washington could really afford that right now unless they somehow finesse the cap situation, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to keep Holtby, and that's why I'm thinking he's not going to be back at, with the Capitals next year. Yeah, the only way Holtby stays is if he takes a big discount, and he has no reason to do that. So I think think he'll be uh, on the free agent market and the Washington Capitals will uh, move forward with Samsonov as their starter. Um, who, I mean, you know, small sample size with him, I guess, so far, but he has been having an incredible season and actually could be in uh, Calder contention. Um, so I think Samsonov is definitely their guy going forward. Yeah, and I hope he's only 30. It's not like he's like late 30s either. So he's still young-ish. Yeah, he's still got a couple of years in him. Yeah, he'll get one more big contract, I think. So, Jordan, what do you, how do you feel about the Red Wings making a play for him? I say no, and it's not because I don't like Braden Holtby. I say no because I think it messes up our rebuild window. I think so. Holtby is too good of a goaltender to keep this team from properly rebuilding. Like, if the Wings were already out of their rebuild and they had the chance to pick up Holtby, absolutely, I would be all over it. But I think he's just too good of a goaltender that he will mess up the Wings' rebuild window. Yeah, Holtby is a guy you add to your team when you're ready to contend. I'm just saying that because we really don't have a goalie. Yeah, and, like, that's the thing. I mean, like, maybe they offer him, like, a $7 million, you know, deal and he takes it maybe he's Detroit's goaltender going forward I mean I would like I would not be mad if the Detroit Red Wings picked up Braden Holby I would not be mad at all but I think given the Wings situation right now in the rebuild I hate saying that management should plan to lose but picking up a guy like Holby is counterproductive to a rebuild hypothetically Jordan hear me hypothetically we get Lafreniere so we get that huge piece that is going to be a great player. How long? How much longer do you think this rebuild takes before we're competing again? Well, if the Red Wings get Lafreniere and if he pans out as this 
humongous talent when she's slotted to be. I mean, it really is going to basically come down to, I think, realistically, three years. That'll give either Joe Valeno or Michael Rasmussen time to fill in and become the definitive second and third line centers that this team needs. The Wings will still have Mantha, Larkin. They'll have Zadina still have Heronic. Hopefully Chalowski will have panned out and Mort Sider will have panned out. So that gives you three out of your six defensemen who are guaranteed top four guys. You can fill out your bottom pair through free agency. You still don't have a goalie situation figured out, but I think your forward group is plenty solved. Your defensive group is at least sustainable enough for a while that at that point, I think the rebuild's over. Okay. Three years. I know it sounds grim, but that's just me being realistic and in my opinion anyway. Can can you tell me how much longer the Lions rebuild's going to be? I was talking to a coworker at work <laughs> about this this week. You can't rebuild what hasn't been built. <laughs> we have Stafford, at least. Seen those rumors online about him going to the Patriots. Oh God! Well, you know Stafford, although is not that is not going to be the 2020 MVP like Mitch Trubisky is. You know, I've been seeing that on Twitter oh, a lot. I've been God. seeing that all over. Here we go. I can't. Even, I, I I don't want to get into Mitch, in Mitch Trubisky mode right now. I just gotta tell you, your tweets always make me chuckle. It's it's the Mitch, it's the Mitch Bowl, Deshaun Watson versus Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Uh, it's all right. Uh, that's what that's what happens when you got some dumb management. But hey, oh well. Uh, we can. I mean, but I mean, for you, David, do you think we that the Wings should go after Holtby in free agency if he's available? You know, I just say fuck it. Throw him an offer. See what happens. <laughs> I mean, I mean, our goaltending is atrocious. Our, I mean, Jimmy Howard is decent, but he's injured a lot lately. Bernier has like one good game in like seven, and then we have a bunch of young guys who are nowhere near ready yet. Um, and we don't even know if they're going to pan out to be the goalie of the future. I think Holtby is a proven winner proven talent yes it could it, it'll probably damage the rebuild like you say but at the same time what if it helps the rebuild what if we have a lot of pieces but we just need a better goalie directing you know traffic in front of the net and things like that that's I what i that's fair. i i side with you there i if you look at the upcoming free agent class it's pretty solid we talked about a few maybe a month or so ago that tory Krug's a free agent he has michigan connections there and i i look at it as this could speed up the rebuild you go get a guy like holtby and krug you're in a good position already signing two top free agents so it can really go either way it you might you guys are saying ruin the rebuild but i think it would benefit the rebuild more just because you now you have a true guy between the pipes and then you get a stud d-man like tory krug that could benefit this you guys my question is what's our upcoming cap for 2020 a lot if i remember correctly i was actually crunching the numbers a couple days ago in the next i think it's two seasons the wings are going to have about 40 ish million in cap to play with zetterberg comes off franzen comes off erickson comes off daly comes off um, green green comes off jimmy howard's gone so i mean you have a lot of cap room to play with 
And I mean, yes, you'll have to re-up guys like Mantha and Bertuzzi, and that's expected, but there's still going to be a lot of cap room to play with. But holy crap, that's a lot of space. I mean, Detroit Red Wings are a team that could definitely be on the up in the coming years. And if we can get some of those players in, like Krug or Holtby or whoever, holy crap, we have the money to pay them. It's like, hey, come play for this historic franchise that's won 11 Stanley Cups. Help us win another. I guess I could see that argument. I mean, Detroit would really have to go to free agency, I think, though, in order to make that happen. I mean, Krug and Holtby would be huge additions to this team. Granted, I think they're also going to be huge additions cap-wise if you pick them up through free agency. And here's the other thing. We don't have Ken Holland making decisions anymore. We have Steve Eiserman, the man that built the Tampa Bay Lightning into a perennial contender. That's actually pretty true. You know, if the Wings can pick up Tory Krug, if they can pick up another, I don't even want to say top six, but even like a middle six forward this offseason for a decent cap hit, and they can pick up Braden Holtby, if they can meet all three of those criteria, then I like the pickup because then you've added a goaltender for long term who's proven. You've got a proven defenseman who you're picking up. You've got two defenseman spots open for Chalowski and Sider, which means your core is going to start growing. And then if you pick up a guy from the top four of this draft, like a Lafreniere or like a Byfield or a Stutzel or whoever the wings pick, you've picked up a pretty decent chunk of talent this offseason. I think just only picking up Holtby, I would say no. But if you got Tory Krug and Holtby to form up the back part of your team, with a guy like Cider getting better, with a guy like Haronic getting better, like it could work if it happens. It definitely could work. I mean, if the World Juniors are any are any indicator, more Cider is looking like he's getting good, and he's getting good very quickly. Do you have anything else you want to talk about, David, before we transfer off of this topic? Nope. I think we covered it pretty well. Let's see what happens in the future. Um, one more piece of... Uh, league news, Dougie Hamilton has received an injury from the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Pretty big loss for that team. I mean, Carolina built from the back out. Um, what do you guys think this means for them in the standings and the team composition? Because they've got depth at defense, but Hamilton is one of those guys who's anchoring for them. Yeah, that's a tough loss. I mean, Hamilton was in contention for the Norris Trophy this year. I know John Carlson's at the point right right now running away with it, but He's been a key contribution to that Carolina Hurricanes team. So it, it's a brutal loss to lose one of your best defensemen like that. And, you know, it sucks. But if you put him on the LTIR now, Hurricanes are in the move to make, or in the opportunity to make another move. So we'll see where they go. But it's, it sucks to lose a guy like Dougie Hamilton, which how, with how much he's brought to Carolina so far this season. Kevin, what do you think about this one? Do you, like, how badly do you think this affects Carolina? Well, it's definitely a big blow for them. Um, and I think Carolina will look to make a trade and uh, add someone that, you know, obviously they're not going to find someone who's going to literally replace him, um, but they can add someone that can at least uh, patch things up a bit for them on the blue line. I mean, we have a Stanley Cup winning defenseman named Trevor Daly they could trade for. He wants to go to a contender, <laughs> man. I think that's it. 
Boom. That's the play. First round pick right there. <laughs> <laughs> if Steve Eisner can pull that off, he will go down <laughs> as the greatest GM. First round ever. pick in 2030. <laughs> um, does anybody else have anything to talk about before we move on to our fan mail that we missed from last week? So we got a piece of fan mail last week, and I'm sorry that we weren't able to get to it due to technical reasons. So we're going to make it up right now. Um, Basically, we had a question that came in, and the question asked, you know, should the Blackhawks fire Colleton and pick up Gerard Gallant right now? Um, I'm going to extend that to the wings as well. I mean, since the question is technically speaking geared towards uh, the Hawks, Kevin and Nick, what are you guys' just initial reactions? Because I'm 99% sure what they are. I'm all aboard it, uh, but I mean the Blackhawks are going to need a cause, so they would need to go on a losing streak, which would which would hurt our standings. But I mean, I got like what Gallant brought to the Vegas Golden Knights when he first joined, and they were they were, I mean they were a bunch of guys nobody wanted. But at this, I think I look at the Blackhawks roster; it's kind of similar when the Vegas Golden Knights first started. They got the high superior talent, and really they got. NHL level talent not all throughout their lines, which would which would made Vegas so good and why the Hawks struggled for so many, for a couple of years because they had guys that didn't belong in the NHL. So if the Hawks go on a slide soon, I I would love Gallant, but I don't think it's realistic. Yeah. So for me, like, should the Wings do it? Definitely. I think the Wings should have done it yesterday. Um, should the Hawks do it? Um, I'd certainly be on board with it, but at the same time, I don't think they need to make a move like that. And I, I think what's going to happen is they're going to uh, keep Colleton for the remainder of the season and, and see how that plays out. So, David, uh, I'm going to extend this question to the Red Wings, and I'm pretty sure you're on the same boat I am. I think we should hire Mike Babcock back. <laughs> no. <laughs> um yeah, I mean dream wise, yeah, I would love to bring him in. Seeing what he did with the team of um misfits, what he could do with a team of guys that are playing together and have gelled together and what he can do with us. Um but after reading the article we talked about last week with you know Blasho and Eiserman talking after every game and how Eiserman told them to focus on the development of the young guys, not the win losses. I I think he's here for this season and probably next. Oh, what? You think oh next God. year too? I'm, I mean, the pessimist in me says yes. Why do you do this to me? Because think, we're not allowed to be happy. I think Gallant makes a lot of sense. I mean, he, he makes a lot of sense everywhere. We were talking about when Laviolette got fired, but... Galat make a, a, there. There's so many teams that Galat could go to right now. There's a lot of interim tags right now with every organization. Well, let's become like, you know, you have that 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 dog where everyone's like, oh, this is the great dog, and then they bring a puppy home and they're like, oh, look at the new puppy. That's Galat. The other dog's like, well, well, shit. Hey, I'm I'm dependable. I'm here. I mean, there's just like yeah, Galat really fits in with a lot of these teams. Like he, I mean. Seattle makes a lot of sense right now, too, because that's what Dave Tippett did when uh, he got hired by Edmonton. He was technically with Seattle at the time, like a handshake agreement, and you see what Gallant did with Vegas in their first year. Why? I mean, if Seattle wants to go take a chance, why not 
try to make history repeat itself. Yeah. I would love to see Gerard Gallant with the Red Wings. I I just really hope Steve, if he doesn't get picked up before the season's over, as soon as the regular season's over, I want to see Steve Eisman pick up Gerard Gallant. Like, but would like Gerard Gallant hurt the rebuild? There is no, because he gets to instill systems in place that that team is going to build on for the future. Yeah. It's not he's he's an injecting of talent right now, but it's a talent in a way that it's going to be teaching good habits and systems to the team that's longevity for a long time versus a band not I mean not a band aid, but not a bandage, I guess, for the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, Galat's one of those guys that you he could help develop guys and be a, and also help turn into a win now team. So like I think it would help the rebuild, especially like with the young talents, he could develop them to what he wants them to be. And then he could help a win now team, obviously just in placing a system. So he's right, right now. He looks like the perfect fit. Cause a lot of the last biggest issue was his offense has struggled. Like every team, a lot of that's been a part of it. It's been an offensive consistency type of thing. And Galat, he's just got it all. It's definitely an interesting discussion though. And I, I think whatever team gets, Galan is going to be very lucky to have him. I mean, if he made it work with a bunch of guys who he realistically had thrown in front of him together pretty much last minute, I think he'll have some pretty good success with a team that he's talking with the GM for and saying, hey, this is who we want to get, this is who we want to get rid of, etc. For all we know, he could be the next Scotty Bowman. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty much it for this podcast, though, for our schedule yeah. for the night. Wasn't there another the question last week? Uh, why did the Blackhawks suck? Oh. Yeah, that that question just got thrown aside because he could. <laughs> oh. We still got to do flashback, though, right? The last section of the uh, the podcast is going to be our flashback because as of this moment in recording, I'm checking our socials and I'm not seeing any sort of uh, fan fan mail. So I'm going to assume within the next probably 10-ish minutes, we probably won't get any. So. Welcome to our flashback segment right now. So for those of you guys who are just now tuning into the podcast for the first time, every week we do a flashback and a flash forward where we look at the team's games from the past week. We look at the team's games for the upcoming week, and we just sort of do like a little recap as well as sort of a prediction of what we think is going to happen, how we think the schedule goes and pans out. Now, this week is kind of an interesting one because of the fact that we have the All-Star game coming up, so there aren't any games coming up really until, what is that? I believe the first is the first game for the Hawks coming up. Um, I'm not sure the next one is for the Red Wings, but there's a nice little break for both of the franchises right now. So not really much of a flash forward this week, but there is a flashback that I want to do. So... I kind of think we should just cover this past week's games. So we started with Hawks news. Let's go ahead and just start with the Hawks on the flashback. So on Saturday, the Blackhawks played against the Toronto Maple Leafs and won 6-2. They played against the Winnipeg Jets and won 5-2. And then they played against the Florida Panthers and lost 3-4. So Kevin and Nick, why don't you guys go ahead and walk me through these games one by one? I'll yeah. just preface this by saying that I only got to watch the Jets and Panthers games this past week, so that's all I can contribute on. I'll start off with Toronto then. Toronto, the Hawks just looked phenomenal. Uh, that's really it was a Taze Kubalik connection game. Taze, I think, had four points. And 
they came out and dominated a good Toronto Maple Leafs team. And it, it was really it, just an all around impressive game. They looked good defensively. They looked good goaltending. They looked good. They looked great on offense. So just a dominant game won by the Blackhawks. Uh, a highlight real goal was Tay's cross crease to Kubli that he whacked out of midair and found the back of the net. So just a great game for the Blackhawks, a nice win, and it got it was a good start to the last week. Uh, well, you said you watched the Jets game, Kevin. Uh, what was your take on the Jets game? Uh, I mean, the Jets game was was a great game for the Hawks, and um, obviously the game where uh, Kane got the big uh, hit, the big milestone. So uh, that made it also a very special game to watch. Yeah, another huge win for the Blackhawks coming against a team that they're really tied with for a playoff race right now. So big win, like Kevin said, the Kane milestone. Brandon Sa got shafted uh, for his celly, but yeah, unreal game <laughs> for the Hawks. And yeah, great to beat a division rival and boost our way up in the standings. In the final game for the week, you guys played against the uh, <clears throat> the Florida Panthers and you guys lost three to four. Um, I actually got to watch a, a little bit of this game. This, I think Rob Vrosky, yeah, like the Hawks were generating decent chances, but they just could not seem to get it past Rob Vrosky and... I thought, like I just I felt like you guys played better than the Panthers did this game and you just for whatever reason could not find the chances that you were generating like they just weren't going in for you guys. I think the biggest issue was not taking advantage of the power plays that we were given. Uh I mean just we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago. The Hawks power plays their penalty kill is phenomenal. They're top 4 in the league right now. But their power play, they just work it around the perimeter too much and not get in high danger chances from – I mean, they're working from outside the face-off circles. There's a few opportunities with Taze finding to bring it. Uh, Taze could have took it on a wraparound. I'd much rather see him take it to the net there. But, yeah, it just just working around the perimeter doesn't create much chance, danger chances and not shooting enough. There, there was a lot that went wrong with the power play that night. Yeah, the power play was definitely, I think, the – death blow for the Hawks because they were handed some some power plays on a silver platter like they had some good chances to convert uh and they didn't take advantage of it uh obviously Leonard also had a really weak game but I'm gonna pinpoint it on the power play not working because Leonard's been great all season he's allowed to have a one-off game yeah that's a good point too Kevin I mean it, it, I, I I think I tweeted on the account with a lack of power play production and then a rare Leonard bad performance, it's going to be a recipe for disaster. So, yeah, Leonard's allowed to have a bad game here and there. That's when you hope the rest of the team kind of picks him up because he's been picking us up all season, but didn't work out that night. Do you guys have any closing remarks for the week before we transition over to the Red Wings? Uh, yeah, just the Hawks need to – I don't know what it is, but every time the Hawks are about to go on a break, they always find a way to lose it. So they need to, yeah, that's true. They need to play until that final whistle, that final horn blows before their break, because I can't tell you the last time the Hawks, I think they won one game in the last five years before they went on a all-star break, Christmas break and whatnot. So yeah, just uh, play until that final horn blows and go celebrate the rest of the break. Uh, we can move on to the Red Wings because the Red Wings not having anywhere near as good of a schedule as Chicago. But this was such a frustrating week for me, as at least when I watched the games. Um, so 
to recap, the Red Wings lost to the Pittsburgh Penguins on Friday 2-1 in overtime. They lost to the Panthers 4-1 on Saturday. They lost to the Avalanche 3-6 on Monday. And then they lost last night to the Minnesota Wild 4-2. Penguins game, where has this Detroit Red Wings team been all season? They looked competent. They looked like they actually had focus. The play was tight. And now granted, Jimmy Howard had a very good game. I think he posted like a 9-4 or something like that. So just stellar performance by Howard. Where has this team been all year? They played competently. The offense was there. They generated shots. Their possession was all right. Like, where has this team been? Like, did you did you watch much of this game, David? I actually got to watch some of it. It was on TV. Um, this was the team, the the sixty minutes of hell team that you know Blashell's been trying to push. Like we were just constantly moving. And working, and yeah, we lost in overtime, two to one. But Jimmy Howard had thirty-five saves on 37 shots. So yeah, he posted, like you said, a point nine four six save percentage. Zadina got a goal. It just sucks that we have to just keep losing, especially when they're looking better. Like we are rebuilding, but we have flashes of where this we can see how good this team can be. And it makes me excited for the future when we finally get all the pieces there and we click. The Penguins game was like that is what the Red Wings will look like when the pieces fall into place. Like that, in my opinion, is what the Red Wings will look like when this rebuild is done. I mean, except for better players, obviously. I mean, true. <laughs> not to throw shade, but just it, it's, I feel like that's. A pretty fair assessment. The game after the Panthers, <laughs> the 4-1 loss. This... <coughs> Sergei Narvosky played a great game this game. But then the wings just fell right back into old habits. Nothing clicked. Offense didn't really generate much. I mean, nobody really seemed to have just solid possession for the wings. Like, I didn't get this one. Did you, David? I mean, they went from hanging with the Pittsburgh Penguins to losing this badly against the Florida Panthers. I mean, it's the wings that we've seen all season. They're just a mess. Now, Florida's not a terrible team. They're 28-16-5. and five. They have more than double the points we have. <laughs> um, but it's just the team we've seen them be this year where we just struggle, and our goaltending's atrocious. and That's why... I said I wouldn't mind if the Wings made a, a stab at Holtby. It's just, it's a rebuild, and it's, it hurts. It's painful to watch. Next game after the Wings lost 3-6 to the Avalanche. Um, this one, I think basically any Wings fan knew that this one was going to be pretty much just a guaranteed L. I mean, Colorado is, well, Colorado, I mean, they're what, second in the Central right now? Uh, Something like that, yeah. They just completely loaded with talent right now. I mean, who's it? They have Kadri, they have Burakovsky, they have McKinnon, they have Makar, they have Ratnan, Vlandiskog. Like, th- this was a game that I was actually surprised Detroit even put up three goals against, to be honest. I mean, Dylan Larkin was an absolutely standout this game. I mean, what was he? He had three points this game, a goal and two assists or something like that. Yes. Pretty big night for him. 
Uh, Zadina got an assist, which was notable, and then uh, Giovanni Smith got a goal. So, just if nothing else, it's I thought this game was good for showing at least some growth with guys like Smith and Zadina. Yeah, I mean, you have our young guy like Zadina scoring. You have Smith scoring. Um, or no, Zadina didn't score. He just had some assists. Just had um, an assist. Yeah, but it's just good to see the young guys play well and what it could mean for our future. The last game of the week, the Red Wings lost 2-4 to the Minnesota Wild. So, I mean, we've we've been pretty harsh on Howard, but this one's pretty fair. I mean, he let in f- four goals to this team, and he did it on, what was it, 30 shots, I think it was. So, I mean, he was basically letting one in about every eight-ish shots. Yeah. Not a particularly great showing by him, but I mean, Phil Sedina got the two goals this game, which was huge. Other than that, I don't know. This one just, I thought this one was winnable, but the Wings, for whatever reason, just couldn't really seem to get anything going this game. I mean, they looked good that first period, and then they just sort of laid right over. Yeah. They letting other teams pet their belly. <laughs> Who's a good boy? <laughs> Thank you for the win. Thank you for two points. Good boy. My gosh. Hey, but that, but, I mean, know, that's the struggles of your rebuild. You're going to see good production out of your young players, but it's going to take some a lot of losses. Yep, it's going to hurt. Let's run the wings, though. Jordan, who's your player of the week? It's no surprise, Philip Sedina. Uh, Same. A two-goal game keeps this point streak going, and I think he's just he's showing signs of improving. The confidence is there. He's looked very good this past week. You said yours was the same, David? Oh, yeah. Philip Zedina, hands down. Nick, who are your guys' player of the week? Here's going to be a big surprise to many. A guy I don't really compliment much, and a guy that I want to see off the team, so I'm hoping this kind of gives them a little bump to get the hell out of here. But (laughs) My player of the week is Eric Gustafson. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah. Nick, you're up his trade value. Yeah, I'm hoping GMs around the world are listening, around the NHL are listening to this. But he had a multi-point night in three consecutive games. There, there was a lot of good, a lot of good weeks out of certain players this week. But I think Eric Gustafson kind of showing a glimpse of what he was last year is a sign of good things. So yeah, Eric Gustafson is my player of the week. Uh, my player of the week is not who I believe was the best player of the week, but I'm going to give it to Patrick Kane for hitting that beautiful milestone. Oh, yeah, I, I love it. He deserves some recognition, so why not? <clears throat> no one more, choices. Yeah, just one more congratulations to Kane. Just, you know, I, I know the Red Wings wish they had someone like him right now, but we get the pleasure <laughs> of watching him every night. Zadina soon. Zadina's our closest uh, comparable, I guess. I mean, he'll be explosive one day. Yeah, not Kane level, but he can. Uh, You're he right. Can reach. He'll be at two thousand points. So. Oh right, uh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> he'll be like, "Who's Gretzky? I'm Zadina." That, that's the sign we're getting off the rails here. Oh yeah, did you? Yeah, time that? to end the show. Did you guys see the Reddit <laughs> post that? Uh, what's What's Gretzky's brother's name again? Uh, I Is it like Keith? Keith, Keith Gretzky. It was like. Um, Wayne and his brother Keith Gretzky um, are the are the, are the siblings that have the most NHL points. With Wayne having like a thousand something or whatever, and Keith having four. 
the highest. What, what a talented tandem. Yeah, Wayne's brother carried him. <laughs> was it Keith? I don't even know. Oh, yeah. Nobody even knows his brother's name, but yeah, he carried him. Moral support. That's what happened. Every game after the game was over, he'd take him aside and be like, look, I need to see more out of you. We're not going to win with your play like that. You need to up it a little bit. Thus, the legend that's Wayne Gretzky came to be in existence. Yep, exactly. Does anybody have anything else before we uh, end tonight's show? Because, I mean, I think that pretty much is going to cover everything last week. Kind of sucked losing the podcast that we had recorded because otherwise I had some really great uh, conversation. But this week we kind of had to tie it all together. So we were running a little bit long this week. We made up for it. We also got Kevin back this week, so... I think it was well worth it. But he has anything else to add. We can go ahead and close it. So with that being said, we'd like to thank you guys all for tuning into the podcast and listening to us all rant and us sort of put our thoughts and feelings out there. Um, At the end of the day, this is a podcast that is by fans, for fans, are not officially affiliated with anybody or anything like that. Just a bunch of guys gathering around and just sort of talking. So I appreciate you guys lending us your ears. Um, if you liked what you heard, feel free to give us a like, a follow, a share, a rate, whatever the social media currency is of choice on the platform that you're listening to us through. Um, you can find us anytime on SoundCloud or iTunes. Um, if you want to find us on SoundCloud, the SoundCloud is soundcloud.com slash Podcast. And if you want to find us on iTunes, just type in the Stickblade Podcast in the search bar and if you also want to get in touch with a uh, podcast, either through like email or put in fan questions, stuff like that, you can also email us. The email address for the podcast is stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, no hyphens or underscores or anything like that. And then if you want to find us on Twitter, the Twitter handle is at stickbladepod. Every once in a while, we'll tweet out stuff from like the games, just thoughts, stuff like that. Um, funny reactions to things. We tweet out the ugliest jerseys we've ever seen from the Colorado Avalanche every once in a while. But just kind of fun stuff going on over there right now. So however you want to get in touch with us, there's plenty of ways to do it. And if you want to follow us, do that as well. But with that being said, that is going to be it for this edition of the Stickblade Podcast. For your host, Jordan Linscott, my co-hosts, David Barnhouse, Kevin Musto, and Nick LePage. You guys all take care of yourselves and have a safe week. Enjoy this little all-star break that we're about to be on and just have some good times. Raise a glass or two if you're old enough. And let's go Hawks and let's go Red Wings.